open and cleanse within. I don't think we could ever, ever grow tired of hearing the message of grace. If we do, we've grown tired of hearing the message of Jesus. That when we talk about this great God, holy as He is, that He would love those who were broken, who were fallen, who were rebellious. If we miss out and lose our love of the message of God's grace, we miss out on the goodness of the gospel. We miss out on the goodness of who God is. And so today, we are not aiming that direction. We're going to go dive straight in to what the goodness of God tells us. And we're going to be looking at the, the book, the letter of Second Corinthians. We're going to be in the third chapter. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to chapter 3 of Second Corinthians. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. If you don't have a Bible with you or are available to you that you can read or understand, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's going to be on page 1024 where we're at. Of course, the words will be on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible, it's our, our privilege to, to supply that to you, to gift that to you. Um, so please, not only use the, this Bible that's in the pew in front of you if you don't have one, but take it with you when you leave. It's our gift to you have in your hands but ultimately we hope to get in your heart but this is what paul inspired by holy spirit is is speaking to the church at corinth and preserved for us today the words are written are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need like some letter like some letters of recommendation to you or from you you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is, is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death chiseled in letters on stone came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside... How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we're speaking of glory, not our own, but what comes from You. We're speaking of grace, not something that we deserve, but what is given from You. We're speaking of the Gospel, not news that we created, but news that was given from You. So Lord, help us as we listen to You to all be taught by You, the Holy Spirit, who promises to be with His church And God, I pray that you would help me just be your servant today, that you would be the one that receives 
the renown, the, the praise, and the worship and adoration. For you are gracious, glorious, and a gospel-giving God. Thank you for who you are in this time we have in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been looking over the past few weeks, um, 33 to be exact, at these letters of First and Second Corinthians with an objective, with a goal, to teach from them the central theme that just resonates throughout them. Not to kind of use them as some kind of leverage or some kind of wedge to kind of get a point across to, to stir people up, but to just take what God has already given and say it is more than enough to move His church in the direction it needs to be moved. And that is that our eyes would be open and we would be awakened to the very grace and gift of God. And what that means for our life is not just something that we hold in our back pocket for that day of death, but something that transforms every single day of our lives. That everything we do in word or deed would be directed towards giving back our praise to the one who gave himself up for us. Why is that the central thing? Because Paul was writing to a church that had deviated. They had gotten distracted and, 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 and deviated away from the course of what this looked like in their life. They were full of good intentions. They were full of good hopes and trying to set towards a path that looked holy, that looked good for the sake of, of getting along. But the problem was, if it did not have the source and, and the direction that was set by God, it would ultimately fracture it would ultimately fall apart it would ultimately lose that which god had placed within it to blossom and paul is steering them back by the direction of the holy spirit to say that while you may have deviated because of your apathy to doctrine not really taking serious the the word that was delivered to you or maybe you maybe you deviated because you got so caught up in this personality versus this personality those things happen because well there are people that are charismatic and 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 they have the ability to draw people in but that's not the central hope the central hope is jesus the central truth is his word and it gives us what we need for life paul spent about a year back and forth writing to this church in Corinth, the church that he founded on his second missionary journey and on his third missionary journey around AD 56. He's spending a year going back and forth in correspondence, answering questions. He's not afraid of those. That's why we should not be afraid of having people ask us questions and growing together. And some of the stuff they have to wrestle with is pretty heavy things. And this is what we believe to be the fourth letter, two of them preserved for us in the Scripture, but the fourth letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And in here, he, he starts describing four truths. He's very happy and very uh, hopeful about what's happening in the church at Corinth, but he also knows there's still some things that need to be course-corrected, and he's showing them what it means that God Himself was in Christ as the reconciler for humanity, and how big that is. But also that He has delivered that ministry to us. Now that Jesus has ascended into heaven and He's gifted His church with the Holy Spirit, that ministry, that news, that that carrying that responsibility and privilege is now in our hands. Not to forget that. And that when it comes to serving the Lord, there are going to be days that are up and down. There are going to be days of suffering and victory. Because true ministry is going to walk through people, not only through the highest of highs, but the lowest of lows. It's going to help meet needs in various places. 
Some that are going to take you in areas that, that you may be uncomfortable with. But nevertheless, need the hope of the Lord. When I think about that, I think of Paul when he's sharing of that news. I, I wonder if he thinks about Ananias. Who, who was, not the bad Ananias, you know, Ananias is fire, the other Ananias. Who, in Acts chapter 8, God told him to go to a house on Straight Street to Simon the Tanner's house. And there was a man named Saul, who was a persecutor of the church who had been responsible for seeing people tortured, seeing people put to death, seeing people put in jail and arrested and put on trial for being a follower of Christ as as being against the direction of the Scripture. And this man, Ananias, he, he heard the message. And he was even questioned God's direction. He says, I've heard what this person has done to your church. But nevertheless, God sent him and he obeyed to a place that, that required him to go I'm sure out of fear. To a place I'm sure required moving beyond their comfort. But he did. And that man that he shared the love of and grace of God to and helped bring healing to his life was a man named Saul that would be the writer we call Paul that writes this very letter. Ministry is going to require us and stretch us to to meet needs that, that sometimes are very difficult. And then when it comes to the leadership, there's a heavy responsibility placed upon them that must not be neglected. It must be supported. But here, as Paul is writing, he's addressing a situation about where people get their their validation, if you will. Where people get their stamp of approval. He's dealing with this topic. And he's asking the church to contemplate, to consider what it means to have the gift of God's glorious, gracious gospel. What does it mean to hold that? Is, is that? Should that be enough? Or what is it you're really seeking? And that's going to lead us to look at these questions. When we look at the Scripture, it's going to ask, make us ask some questions today. The first question is, what are we really seeking? What is it that we come to church for? What is it we live this life for? The custom that Paul is speaking about when he's talking about are, are we seeking letters from you or, or do we need letters from you as some have is that there was this custom in the day when people would travel from one city to the next, maybe a city they had never been to before, there would be a letter written by someone in the city they were coming from to a person or an organization in the city they were going to to say that this person is not a fraud. This person is legitimate. This person is endorsed. It has that Chuck Norris approved stamp on there. It's there. That would be the letters that would be there. These letters of recommendation. And it would help bring validity to this person's identity. That, that, that they are validated. And as with most things, some of these letters, you know, were absolutely legit. They were good things. But it was as most things, we know that even good things, even things we use today, we still use letters of recommendation, letters of reference. But even in, we see most things that could be good, some of these letters would be forgeries. They would come with people with a hope of some ill-gotten validation or, or self-gratifying gain. They would be malicious to push others out. And I think about it, in this, that whenever Paul is talking about this church and these people, 
that are saying that you need some kind of validation. You need some kind of stamp of approval to, to, to hold your identity together. So that we know that you're good enough. We know that you're the person that you say you are. We know that's not too far off from where we are today. I mean, this is what the church is dealing with in Corinth. And it, it doesn't, it's not really too off base to where we are today. Because today, we are still living in a world where people are still seeking some sort of validation. Some sort of endorsement. Some sort of stamp of approval that, that you know what, you're good enough. You're smart enough. You're strong enough. You know, we, we want a stamp of approval and, and we need that from our family. We want that. And, and when we don't have that stamp of approval, man, we get bitter. We want a stamp of approval from our vocation. When we do a good job, we want our boss to say, that's a good job. Or that we know what we're doing. None of us wants to look like an idiot to the job that we're actually supposed to be accomplishing. We want that stamp of approval. We want that from our education that, you know what, this person has, he, he knows what he's talking about. That, that they have the right degree or, or they have the right level of intellect. We want the stamp of approval based on our achievements. What we feel like we've earned. What we feel like we've worked through. We want it so our identity feels it has that approval. And Paul is saying here, that we are not people that are trying to commend ourselves, that are just seeking some kind of stamp of approval on our own life just to build ourselves up. That is not what we need, and that's not what we really should be seeking. Having these things are not bad in themselves. Having a, a, a good family or a good job or, or good education or great achievements or a great identity and reputation, none of those things are bad in themselves. But if they are what you build your hope on, the foundation of your life, it is a faulty foundation, no matter how many stamp of approvals and slaps on the back and attaboys you get. It will never be enough for what we really need. So the question I have to ask you today is, what are you really seeking? As you've come into church, what is it you're really seeking? All of us come to church expecting something. We want answers. We want hope. But is our being at church only so that we can get that stamp of approval, that checklist that I feel validated this week that I'm spiritual enough? That I did my holy duty? That other people who are spiritual will be like, that's a good guy because they showed up at church. That's a great lady. Because they were there with service today. What is it we're really seeking? When we come back to the view of God's glorious gospel grace, though we see not only what we are seeking, but what we should really be seeking. What should we really be seeking? Paul stated that this was not the sort of validation that was really needed for him. Like I said, not that these letters are automatically a bad thing. I think they have their place. When we're seeking out applications, when we're looking for references, when we're making sure that we're not getting conned by someone. But these endorsements are not meant to be the source for validation, nor, and this is the big deal, can they ever provide what is needed for eternity. There is no way that you're going to be able to submit some kind of resume with all these different references when you get to the, the gates of heaven and say, here you go, these people say I'm good to go. I have their stamp of approval. It's just not going to happen. 
No matter how holy or spiritual that person is, unless the referral you have is Jesus, unless that endorsement comes from Him. And when it comes to the endorsements that the servants of Christ are meant to build their lives upon, we need to ask a question why these are not good. One, as Paul would say, no human servant of Christ can take credit for this process of conversion. Not one of us can take credit for that. I know that people have testified and been a part of saying, you know, I'm thankful that I was there and we've seen thousands of people come to Christ through their ministry. Amen. Praise the Lord. But that human person is not the one that was responsible. It is only God that can save. We cannot save ourselves. We're not responsible for our conversion in the first place. God is. He's the one that made His grace known to us. We merely responded to the gift. We didn't purchase it. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. God made it known to us and we received it. The person that receives the gift is not the one that's, that made the gift. And we cannot be responsible or take credit for the sake of others. We can be thankful that of our part to play in their life that they have heard and known. But it is only God and the work of grace by the Spirit that can ever save anyone. We cannot take that credit. And so may our hope not be built and boosted on numbers. While numbers are important, when there is quality, there is usually quantity. May that not be our self-esteem, our validation, our stamp of approval on ourselves. Secondly, we can't build our lives on this because we do not and cannot become followers of Christ through merely some sort of manual, some sort of technique, or merely some formula that is man-centered and man-focused and man-directed. If all of it is built on what I need, what I can do, what I, what I can achieve, what I must do, and yet it does not take into account the move of God on the Spirit. Nothing happens. Now I want you to hear me out. Because sometimes that may sound a little anti-gospel. You can not come to Christ and be saved except for the Holy Spirit draw you. That is central Bible. That is Jesus' words there. So if your hope and your dependence was that you were in the right place at the right time, you said just the right words to the right person, and got their stamp of approval, you may potentially have missed the big deal. If it was not God, the Holy Spirit, that impressed on your heart the need to be saved, and you trusting in Him and Him alone for His work of grace, then you followed something else. But when the Holy Spirit makes known that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus is the only sufficient one to be the substitute for us and that He willingly did that and we place our hope and trust in Him. And the Holy Spirit makes that known to us and we trust in His grace. That is where salvation occurs. That's where the Holy Spirit draws. That's where conversion happens. It is God implanting His Spirit in our hearts that gives us power it gives us hope for a new life. It recreates us. It gives us the ability to live for Him. In other words, the credit goes to God and God alone. Not our prestige. Not our own power. Not our stance. 
And we understand that not one person, not one person can be adequate without God's help. Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And He, He made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. It is He that gives us the power. It is He that makes us complete. It is only He. And if we are dependent on ourselves and seeking some kind of approval and attaboy from other people, we are not following the work of grace or the work of the Spirit. We are not embracing the gift of God's glorious gospel grace as we should. Without the Holy Spirit enabling our natural talent, and natural talent is great. I'm glad people can do it and do things well. But it will only carry us so far. But that so far will never be far enough. It just won't. We need the character and special strength that God alone can provide. And that is why Paul spoke of the difference that was made between that of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that of the Old Covenant and the New, that between the promise of what God was providing and what has been provided. This is what we should really set our hope in. This is our, our validation. This is our endorsement, not something that can ever be achieved or placed on us or labeled by any other human being, but through Jesus Christ alone. This is what we should really be seeking Which presents us a third question. If this is what we really should be seeking, what we really need, then how does someone receive what they need? How do do they get that? Well, it is only by that Holy Spirit-led belief, trust, and receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ that can a person be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the gift of eternal life. No other way achieves it. It is only by trusting in Him. And this is not just a mere head nod, fill out a card. This is a, I am placing my whole hope, my whole life in the hands of God. And were He not there, I know I just fall. He's the one that I'm giving myself to. He is that bridge and were it not for Him there, I would just be walking into an open chasm. I am leaning on His everlasting arms because i've seen and the holy spirit has made known that there is no other hope but jesus why is that because the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant and what we saw in jesus christ is that no one but jesus ever perfectly fulfilled the law no one but him he is the sinless one the holy one the utterly righteous one And what that means is because He's the only one that feels it, all the others, we're all left in condemnation. We're all left with that judgment placed upon us. There is no grading on a curve for us. Because Jesus, He way outscored everybody else. The Bible says that we have that, that punishment, that consequences for our sin already laid on us. That condemnation is already there. Well, does that, does that mean that the whole Old Testament is bad? Does that mean we just throw out that part of the Bible because it's, it's just no good then, right? What, what use is that? If all I need is Jesus, I don't need this other stuff. I, this whole uh, Genesis through Malachi stuff, you know, why do I need to read that? Why do I need to soak that in? Well, there are many, many reasons. 
But let's just go to the Old Covenant in itself. You see, the Old Covenant is the law that makes people realize and recognize their utter sinfulness. Now, I don't know, but I know no one likes being called a sinner. I know I, I sometimes do that snarky little thing when I hear somebody be like, well, yeah, I'm going to miss church this week, and I'd be like, sinner. You know, and I, I'll do that, but really, that's even making light of how big of a deal this is. When we talk about our sinfulness, we're talking about the fact that we are people that are used to living in rebellion against God. We like to go our own way. Each has determined that their own way is right in their own eyes, but it ends in death. The law helps us recognize that our sin is not only rebellion against God, it's, it's transgression. It's, it's open disrespect. It's iniquity. It's a state of wickedness that's in us. It's, it's unrighteousness that, that is not just something that is something that we've done with our hands on the outside. It's, it's, it's stained us within. And the law makes us recognize that we are powerless in ourselves to get, have the life that we need. And we're powerless when we just read the, the law. We see there's no one righteous. There's not one of us who has done good aside from Jesus. Now, I know this seems like a very harsh message. This seems like a very judgmental message. This seems like very painful to hear. But what it shows us is that in the law, God says what is impossible on your behalf is absolutely possible on my behalf because I love you so much that if we look at this whole thing of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant as just some kind of transaction of business and we use that personal passion that God has for us and seeing this is how utterly desperate we were and yet how openly giving God is. We miss out on something. The Lord has given us something grace-filled, something unmerited, and that changes everything. And that leads us to the fourth question. How does this gift change everything? How does it? How does it make a difference when we trust in Jesus? Well, it's a gift that's offered freely to all who believe. It's a gift that's offered to all who will believe. All who the Holy Spirit draws in. You see, the law is good in that it shows us what righteousness and morality actually look like. And it shows us how we miss the mark. But it gives us that picture that this is the aim. Nevertheless. And when we come to Jesus, we can go back to the law and say, God, I know I will never meet this mark on my own strength or my own power, but by Your grace and by Your work in me, I'm going to aim for it because I know it honors You. I know it reflects You. I know it demonstrates the love that You willingly gave to me. And it offers the response to God's character, the portrait of what faithful obedience is meant to look like. But it helps us to recognize that were it not for grace, were it not for God, were it not for His glory being on display, we would have nothing. But because of it, because of Him, we have everything. I think about this at times. How pitiful it is when I lose my wonder for Jesus. 
I mean, think about it. How pitiful it is when we lose our wonder for Jesus. When we lose our wonder for what he's done, for the rescue he's provided, for the love he has freely demonstrated. And when we're, we lose our wonder for Jesus, I think it's just a catalyst for all the other stuff that happens in our life. When we lose our wonder for Jesus, man, sin looks a little more attractive. When we lose our wonder for Jesus, the love that He has for us, we, we tend to like miss out on sharing it with other people. People we call brothers and sisters in Christ are people that are complete strangers. When we lose our wonder for Jesus, our, our words and our worship, they echo as hollow. When we lose our wonder for Jesus, our serving just seems like we're just giving a pittance of charity out. But when we have a wonder for Jesus based on who He is and what He said and what He's done, and we see the gravity of it, that it is something amazing, something defining, something life-changing. That the, that the old covenant that He had given us was something that revealed our frailty and our fallenness and our mortality. But it's glorious because He changes everything. Not like He's saying, alright, I'm a pharmacist, you don't know me, I'm giving you an over-the-counter prescription here to take away your pain, but you don't know me. No, He's saying, I'm pouring my life into you. I'm giving myself to you so that you may have grace so that you may not have to live in this old way of life in a way that that strangles out hope, in a way that pulls apart life, in a way that just diminishes and bleaches the strength, but in a way that shows that there is a God who loves you and a God who restores a heart and a soul, a God who comes and loves a child like a father, a God who gives power for life. This is how this gift changes everything. When we trust in Him, God does a reckoning. Paul equated it to how glorious this is. How glorious this is. He he talked about the fact that the law, in in all its beauty, and all of its amazingment, uh, you know, we talk about the, the... the, uh, the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie and, and all the, you know, the thou shalt not and the finger of God etching his law into the stone and all these things. And really powerful kind of moving film, I, I admit. And when we read the text, it's, it is very moving that God himself etched this in stone. And that Moses, Paul says that whenever he was up there with the Lord and near to the very God that loved his people, when Moses would come down from from the mountain holding these tablets of stone and, and delivering this law, that he would have a glory on his face, that he had to wear a veil because people were too afraid to even look at Moses' face. But even after time, when Moses was not up on the mountain with the Lord, that whenever he was not there, that, that this, this glory would diminish eventually. And Paul takes and equates that and says, here's the deal. What God has done, what God had promised back then and yet has provided now, is more glorious for you who believe than Moses' supersonic glowing face. It's more glorious than that. 
God has done something more holy and powerful in your life. Something everlasting that will never, ever diminish. Something that surpasses all of that. So don't miss out on what God is doing to bring and imbue in you His grace that says, though you do not deserve this, I freely give it. His glory that says, though you are not adequate on yourself, I empower you through myself in you. That it is the gospel that says, though you could not achieve your validation, you could not get a stamp of endorsement on your own, I freely give myself in your place. So that when I look at you, I see me. And Paul says that his life, his ministry, his service, the very part that he feels is his greatest validation now is to be a minister of that grace. And to see the evidence of him actually being a minister of it. Not just carrying around the title, but doing nothing. But actually living it out. And when he looks back at the church, he says, you're the evidence. You're the, if anything, you're the endorsement. Not that I need a letter from you. I'm not even asking for a letter from you. But God Himself can look on what is left behind in my wake. Not that that says and testifies I deserve anything. But that I have been faithful with what I have been given. That I have been faithful with what I have been given. I love that verse. In 1 Corinthians 15.10 it says, For by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. Instead, I labored harder, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. What Paul lived out, someone who was once a church persecutor, who was pushing people towards the edge of death, if there's ever an enemy of God, it would be someone that would that label, I would think. And yet the testimony of God is that He could even save someone that's that far away and draw them very near and change their life from that point forward to leave a wake behind them that says, this is what I know of the gift giver. Why He's so, dif- why he's so defining to who I am and how He defines what I do. So the last question is this. What do we have to say about the gift of the giver? What does our life testify about that? That if, if the, the Spirit has written His letter, not on tablets of stone for us to go and find, but to write it on our hearts that says He is with us and it's a glory that's surpassing, is that evident in our life? I'm not trying to give a guilt trip here. But is the life that we are living, is it an active validation and endorsement of God instead of us seeking one, but us giving back and saying, this is who He is? Is our life a testimony of what He has written on our hearts? In other words, if the letter of your life were copied, what would it say? What would people read? What would be the evidence that's laid on the table? And would it be something that you would want replicated? 
If the dependency on the church or the dependency of faith or the dependency of someone in your office having the gospel made known to them were dependent on you being replicated as a disciple, would that be a good thing? What does it say about what we're doing and testifying to the gift giver who has done something far more glorious than we could ever conceive? The testimony of grace from God is, is also this though. If you felt like that was a gut punch by me just asking those questions, the testimony of grace is that if our answer now is not something that we know would be pleasing to God in this moment, in this divine appointment, He says, my grace to you is saying that it doesn't have to stay that way. Not because it's dependent on you to be adequate enough. Not because it's dependent on you to have the endorsement of, but because I place my glory and my grace Upon you. This is what has been supplied and filled to us and provided by Jesus Christ when we talk about the gospel. For some of us, in this day, this room, today needs to be a new day. And for some of us, it just means continuing on and growing beyond where we're at. So that the letter of our life says, This is something I hope is replicated. Not because I'm that good, but because God's grace in me did something that left the evidence of His life in me and to others. What will your letter say? And if it's something that needs to be addressed, will you go to God who can make a difference? Because He indeed changes everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, as we come to this place of response and we take the moment to appropriately reflect on who you are and what you've said and what you've done. God, I know that there's not a single person in this room, including the one that's speaking right now, that would be anything were it not for grace. I know I don't have it all together. And I know that whenever you were laying on my heart, what must be said, God, I, I had to check myself. Is what I'm doing worth being replicated? Is who I am demonstrating that Your grace and glory and Gospel have been written on my heart? Is it making much of Your name? So God, I thank You for not casting stones. But I thank You for welcoming us to this moment of grace. This moment of response. Now help us to see your gift for, for what it is. To see you and your character for who you are. And God, to respond in the way that you lead. For the one whose heart is wrestling whether to follow and trust in the direction that you're placing on their life. God, clear the way. Clear out the obstacles. Go to war for them. And show them the peace that you provide. Help it not be easy for them to choose the way of rejection. Help them see the abundance that is in grace. That is from you alone. And may your Holy Spirit draw us near today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be down here at the front.
And I'm just going to give these simple instructions. I don't know what God may be leading you to do today. Maybe it's a first step for you. Or maybe it's just the next step for you. But whatever it is, please follow the Lord's direction. I'm going to be down here at the front to help anybody that may need help with that choice. Whether it's the first one or the next one. You follow as God would lead you.